The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning, and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you. For the next 30 minutes, uh, Frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction and addicts like myself. Joining me as always from Epic, a fellow gambler in recovery, my pal Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How you doing, pal? I'm great, Craig. I'm uh, doing well. How are you today? Doing very good. Thank you so much. And uh, joining us now from Texas is uh, Saul. Saul, like me and Dan, also a gambler in recovery. Saul, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Craig. Uh, it's good to hear from you. I'm doing great and looking forward to having this uh, conversation today. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. When was uh, your last wager? So my last bet was July 18th, 2019. Oh, congratulations. Very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, ha- it's been a long journey. Has it gotten easier for you not to gamble now or no? I'd say it has. I'd say because, you know, I've developed certain coping skills to this point. It's become more like muscle memory. Wouldn't say it's ever been a complacent thing, but it's become, you know, more of a routine now. Sure. Uh, do you miss it? Do I miss it? I don't think I miss it per se. I think there's certain aspects of it that I miss the idea of, like, you know, playing poker with a group of work friends or something, but not the actual routine that I was in. Well, let's talk about your story a little bit. How old were you when you first got exposed to gambling? So I was pretty young when I first got exposed. So I just turned 25 last week. But when I started gambling, um, (laughs) I'd say from a young age, I was intrigued by scratch-offs, maybe even as young as like six or seven. Um, I went to the horse track often with my dad and my brother. My mom would sometimes go. But the thing is, my dad wasn't a gambler, but he would give my brother and I a few bucks to pick the horses. And when I won and my dad kept the money, I would think, man, I wish I could do this on my own. And uh, Mm -hmm. so a pretty young age, um, like six or seven, and then I did fantasy baseball, fantasy basketball, fantasy football from – middle school onward and I have some core memories of wins and stuff that really kind of propelled me from a young age. You know Dan it's interesting talking to uh, Saul who's in his mid-20s yeah I remember as a kid growing up uh, and there would be the kid in uh, junior high school uh, elementary school even high school who gave you you the parlay cards uh, because that it predates you know our fascination with fantasy football but I guess at the end of the day it's the same thing we're exposed to the concept of risk and reward and gambling. Yeah, and, you know, just when he said that, I was going to chime in, too, because we don't talk enough about that connection because in many jurisdictions, daily fantasy sports, and I think it's helpful for our listeners to remember, you know, fantasy sports can come in all different shapes and sizes. You have season-long, which was traditional how I grew up playing, where you had to wait weeks and months to find out who won the league, right? But now you have daily fantasy sports where you can draft a new team Every day, every night, and win real cash prizes. And, boy, it's not technically considered gambling in many jurisdictions, but it sure as heck feels like it when you're risking something of value to try to win something of value where there's a lot of risk involved. Yeah, we're basically, uh, and I'm not going to be out of my soapbox in this, but we're indoctrinating kids into gambling. And to be fair, we were indoctrinated just with a different game, whether it was flipping baseball cards or, you know, the parlay cards that the one kid in school had. It's just a different game that we're bringing kids into. But to be fair, I'm not going to be the old guy in the lawn yelling. Every generation at some level 
is exposed to and indoctrinating into the concept of gambling. It's just a matter of what, what's the entry point. That's all. A hundred percent. I agree with you a hundred percent. It just changes as the years and the decades move on. Now it's more digital and electronic. It's going to look nicer. It's going to be faster yeah. reward. It's going to hit the brain differently. Um, but you're a hundred percent right. We're always introduced to it. And you and I have even taught that we're not anti-gambling. Right. We're against gambling for ourselves. Like I know I, I'm not for gambling for me and that's all I can control. But we also want to educate people about the, the risks and the harms. You're right. So, so uh, what, how old were you when gambling became you know, a really big part of your life, even before maybe it became problematic? Uh, what age were you? Yeah, so I'd say uh, the age when it really became a bigger deal to me was probably my senior year of high school because – actually, I'm sorry, let me backtrack. Probably my sophomore year of high school because I, I sometimes forget that I was – on this app on my iPad, it was a casino app. And even as a high schooler, I would uh, make bogus accounts using my computer right. and then copy paste people who had a lot of chips in the app. I'd copy their picture, their name, add all their friends and say, hey, my account got hacked. Can you send me all your chips and I'll pay you back when I can get my account up and running? And these you know, 70-year-old people that were on this app would trust me and give me all these chips and I would funnel it to my main account and spend all night into the early morning playing roulette on my iPad. And so, you know, that was already something I was really involved in in high school. And then I kind of just forgot about it for whatever reason until I started really betting sports in college as a sophomore. And how, how much of your sports gambling would you say was done because – it was social. Like, your buddies were doing it. You'd go to a bar or sit in a frat room house and watch a game, and they had money on it, so you had money on it. How much of that was uh, your background? I'd say about halfway there, Craig, and the reason I say that is because I was introduced to it that way. I was introduced to it by a buddy I had who hyped me up and said, you know, I know you're always good at fantasy baseball. You tell me all the right things, so get in on the sports book with me. Let's do this. And right. so we would compare – notes and wins and losses and it seemed very legitimate and even encouraged by friends and family like oh you know you're okay they didn't encourage gambling they encouraged me to do fantasy before i was putting a lot of money on it because it was a way to socialize right. with friends and we draft at someone's house and stuff but when i actually got into picking games after the first few weeks it was really an isolated activity because very early on i was picking games overseas and stuff that no one could really relate to. So it wasn't really a social activity once I got really wrapped into it. Yeah, it's funny. At some point, Dan, people that listen to this show are going to recognize the commonality of the stories we hear, whether it's how you were first exposed to it or the fact that once you go down a road where it becomes a compulsion or an addiction, none of us are looking to do it with other people. Every, every person that's come on this show has said it may have started off socially, but when it became all-encompassing to my life, I wanted to do it alone. Yeah, you know what? You're right. And I think about that commonality. And I've had people that talk about that, that I kind of would reach out to us after hearing the show, and we would talk about kind of their gambling experience. And, you know, what's fascinating with fantasy sports and the sports betting component is that there's this element of social and also the research. You know, Saul, you just talked about, like, that research. Hey, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time. And, and I'm doing this with someone else, so you're kind of like testing the ego. You're going back and forth. But then when it progresses and I want to do this alone, we romance the process of sports betting. We romance the process of, of, of fantasy sports because there's a lot of research that needs to go into it. 
And it just consumes so much of our time, not right. even related to gambling-related stuff. Mm-hmm. But the processing and the research is something I continue to think about a lot. We romance the process. That's what I've concluded. So, Saul, let me ask you this. Uh, at what point did it become a real problem for you? I'd say it became a, a big problem for me after. So, I mean, my first sports bet outside of fantasy was September 2017. I'd say within the first I don't know, six months of betting, I already owed guys money. And that was when my parents were pushing me in a GA because they were continuing to bail me out early on. You know, I didn't have a job. I was in school. So long story short, I'd say only about half a year into it by the time I, you know, was betting on a credit line. And I think, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of that yet, especially younger guys is that, um, the whole credit line thing where it's like you're playing with monopoly money. And I I think I knew I had a problem because I I was blocking all these guys, phone numbers, getting a new bookie, blocking his number. And I I initially thought it was a win-win, excuse me, a win-win position. Either I win my money back or I block the guy and I don't pay him. And, uh, you know, it was becoming very dangerous. People were sending all these texts and calls and all that. So I realized with the money owed and the texts and the fact that I was, nonstop thinking about my next bet within half a year, I figured, well, crap, I have a problem, but I didn't really want to get out of it because that was the only thing I looked forward to. So right. Despite the fact that it was, you know, tearing everything I had apart. So, well, you know, one of the things we talk about on this show pretty openly is, you know, the bottom of the barrel moment. Like what was the night or the day or the event that took place that make uh, gamblers ultimately uh, acknowledge that they have a problem and then take the steps to get help. And as you can imagine, a lot of those stories are very, very moving and powerful. Uh, In a moment, we're going to hear Saul's. So good stuff coming up. It's Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Dan Chalara, of course, Epic Craig Carton with you for a few more moments here this Saturday morning. Uh, Joining us from Texas is Saul so, Saul, uh, I guess you know, we'll give you your shot to explain to uh, the audience that is trying to get more comfortable understanding and hearing the stories of the depths we go to gamble. What was your uh, bottom of the barrel kind of come to Jesus moment uh, in your life that made you uh, eventually decide, I got to go get some help? You know, interestingly enough, that moment did not have to do with another wager or anything. I was actually collecting my one month keychain in Houston, GA. I mean, I had been in and out of the meetings since August of 2018. Um, so that specific moment was that day, that one month that I was getting in, in GA. Um, my girlfriend at the time from college found out that I was doing all this lying and stuff and, you know, behind her back and she broke up with me. And, uh, I had an old timer in GA that I was talking to at the time. And I told him, look, if, will you contact this girl on my behalf? If I go six months without gambling, will you tell her I'm a changed person and get back with me and all this? And he responded by saying, look, you know, you have no shot at getting her back. You don't even have a chance at staying clean. And, uh, you know, side note, I was only clean for that month because I couldn't find a new bookie or anything. I mean, I I didn't want to actually stop. I just was kind of dry, but he was saying, look, you have no chance pretty much at a life or any, sort of sobriety unless you get to work on, you know, changing yourself and, you know, go to the meeting tomorrow. We'll talk more, but, 
you know, right now you're a stubborn, you know, POS and you're, you know, this gambling thing is destroying you and all, all this stuff. So it was really this old timer that sort of opened my eyes. I mean, the gambling, sure, but everything is falling to pieces here and it starts with stopping gambling. So that's what I got to do. And I sort of opened my eyes to what was going on. So that's fascinating to me. So the tough love of what amounts to a stranger at the time moved you to the point where you were willing to take ownership of how you were living your life and uh, take the steps to improve it, yeah? At the very least, to just go a day or two clean. I mean, that was really where it started, which I think, you know, and I'm not going to preach here, but I feel like from what I hear, a lot of people have this idea, oh, I'm never going to gamble again. Oh, this yeah. is never going to happen again. But, I mean, I, I try that so many times. Like, I'd take a picture of the day on the calendar make it my phone background and say, this is my day, you know, never again. And it doesn't work. So it was really this daily realization of, okay, got to do something. Yeah, I think, to, you know, I think for gambling recovery, I can't speak to drugs or alcohol, nor would I, uh, Dan, that the word never is a dirty word because when you're first walking into, whether it's GA or any other type of uh, program that you think is going to work to help you deal with the addiction of gambling, you know, the, the idea of never, it, it's, it's too much. It's got to be, I'm not going to gamble for the next five minutes. Like, no joke. As silly as that may sound to people who don't have the problem, you know, you, you can't start with forever. You got to start with, I'm going to crawl. Yeah, human nature, if we take that to begin with, we already know that we tend to gravitate towards things that we can't have. Like, if someone says you can't have that, well, it's going to make you want it a little bit more. And when you think about the concept of, I can never do this activity that I have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with that's so strong and powerful, and you're telling me I can never do this again, that is way too much to embrace. And that just really hit me right between the eyes, Saul, because it took me a good year and a half for me to really embrace my recovery because I had those same thoughts. I couldn't believe that I'll never be able to do this thing again. And I couldn't get past that, that time uh, stamp. It's when I started changing it to I'm not going to gamble today. I'm not going to gamble right now in the next hour. Because for that year and a half, whenever I'd get a paycheck, my brain would start to go right back to, okay, I just got paid. Now let me see. Maybe it, it's just gambling addiction and recovery is such a confusing, um, difficult addiction to recover from, at least in my experience, because of all those mind tricks that we play. You know, I've won before. I know what it's like to win. It feels good. I can do this again. I've been there. I'm successful. And it just plays tricks on you. But the only way that I've found, like you saw, is one moment at a time, one second at a time. So, uh, Saul, I give people an idea, especially you know, young guys like yourself, who might be in the spot where they're finally willing to maybe take that step. And it is a hard step. You know, Dan and I counsel young guys all the time, and invariably, you know, there are setbacks, or, you know, it, it may only go a day, it may go three days, it may go a week, and then, you know, they're back, or your know, guys aren't willing to self-exclude, guys aren't willing, you know, to close out accounts because they're just not ready. And as I always say, until you're ready, there's not a counselor in the world that's going to help you stop doing something because you're just not ready to do it. But the flip side of that is once you are committed to living your life without gambling, boy, oh, boy, uh, the sky is uh, bluer, the birds are chirping a little bit uh, louder, and life can be really good. And I would ask you to speak a little bit towards where you are just in life uh, without gambling as opposed to where you were you know, three and a half years ago. 
Sure, Craig. I mean, I'd say uh, deeper than not gambling, which it all starts with that for me. I feel like uh, it's helped me, it being not gambling and attending GA and so on. I feel like I've been able to change more of who I am because before I gambled, I, I, I wasn't, I, I mean, I can delude myself. I was, everything's great. If I'm not gambling, I'm automatically happy, but that's not the reality. So I'll say now, I feel like I have a purpose because I am, I'm studying to become a therapist uh right now in a master's program and you know working with some schools here in the dallas area to speak to their high schoolers because they're getting the drug talk they're getting the alcohol talk they're not getting the gambling talk maybe they are but not here in dallas yet so doing that sort of thing and i just feel like um not taking things for granted as much and i you know i try not to sound cheesy but it's the truth because even something as simple as going home to Houston and seeing my parents, it was something I just dreaded after going back out to gamble or, you know, oh, now I owe this guy. I, I would just prolong going home because I couldn't bear to see my parents. And now it's like, you know, wow, I have a family that's always cared about me. And, you know, I didn't have a traumatic childhood or anything. My parents always loved me. And so I can finally appreciate that now that I actually have some purpose going on. But that's not to say that it was or is easy because like you alluded to, there's these young guys that come in and go out or they never really stay in to begin with. And Hey, for the first almost entire year, since my first GA meeting, I was gambling. I mean, I would gamble in GA meetings on my phone and stuff. So it's not to say that I'm some person who's better than all these young guys or anything. It's just like, look, I mean, it's possible to, come through this or at least on a daily basis not have to go back to it yeah and i think that's the point and that's what i always say like you know there's a lot of commonality in the addiction but recovery is very uh unique and it's uh it's it's unique to you i walked out of 30 you know ga meetings i had somebody ask me for my autograph in a ga meeting you know i experienced a lot of weird things and then ultimately i found a room that i liked you know uh and uh, it helped big time now i'm and we always say on the show that we don't espouse any one belief in recovery. Yeah. For some people, GA gets the job done, but it's not for everybody. Uh, you just got to figure out what is your thing. And once you commit yourself to living gambling free, it makes recovery a lot easier because you're truly committed to doing it. And I applaud you for what you've done, Saul. Your yeah. story needs to be told because, you know, like, you know, I'm getting up there. Uh, Dan's getting older. And we need more young guys like you who have been through the through it, you know, emotionally, physically, financially, who now can speak to the fact that recovery is possible and real. So I would encourage you to continue on that path you're on and share your story with as many people that'll listen. You're doing a great job. Thank you, Craig. And I guess one one last thing I'll say very quickly is I hope at least some people listening can just get the idea that Gambling isn't just some old fogey, you know, in a racetrack doing OTBs. Like, this is the every man, every woman, too, yep. problem of, you know, 21st century now. So it's, uh, you know, a common common thing out there. Yep, and becoming more common uh, every minute of every day. Well, be well, enjoy, and uh, if I can ever return the favor, just give a shout. And I uh, wish you the best of luck. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. All right, take care. Thanks bye-bye. Cool. All right, bye-bye. All right, Dan, uh, great. I always like hearing from young guys. He's 25 years old because it's more relatable, obviously, 
to uh, the uh, fastest growing segment of new gamblers, which are guys 25 and under. And it seems like he's got his head on straight, but he could be 25, I could be 50, you could be 70, however old you are these days. And our stories, while the specifics of the story might be unique, the macro version of the story is exactly the same. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's what we, when we come to realize that we have more similarities than differences, that's when like true healing can really start and really begin. You know, we, we, we're, we're battling this thing that doesn't discriminate. Uh, it doesn't matter what your age is, race, ethnicity, color, creed. It doesn't care. It can uh, start off as a fun time, and most people can do it as a fun form of entertainment. But for, for a, a, a small percentage and growing, I would argue, and growing percentage of the population, they're going to start to experience some type of harm, and they're going to have to really take another look at their relationship with gambling. You know, why do you gamble? What's it serving in your life? Uh, is it a form of entertainment? Are you using it to avoid an issue? Are you using it because life is boring and you can't find joy in your life in other areas? Is it impacting your relationships? Those are the types of questions that a person really needs to be constantly checking in on to make sure that they're understanding why they gamble and using tools that operators have on their sites that may be helpful for some as well. Yeah, well, listen, uh, we keep doing it. We'll keep doing it until we, uh, we've we made a dent in the problem, that's for sure. Always appreciate your time. Dan Trelaro, epic. And uh, we'll do this again next Saturday. It's Hello, my name is Craig. Uh, always good talking to you, pal. You too, brother. Have a good one. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to Hello, my name is Craig.